thank you. Can we um, just take a moment to appreciate Pastor Ben and Ray and how they are leading us in worship every week? Would you just um, clap, shout, hooray, whatever you want to do? We're just so thankful for them and, and the ways that they use their gifts um, and provide that space for us to worship. So grateful for both of you and who you are in my life. Well, Pastor Ben uh, asked you guys a question. He asked you, what areas of your life do you need God to bring new life? Lent is such a beautiful season in the church calendar that creates space for us to slow down and reflect on these things. And as we near Holy Week, we often want to skip through uh, all of Lent. We want to skip straight to Easter, right, and jump over the difficult things that Lent invites us to lean into. Over these, last, over these last few months, we have journeyed with Christ in the scriptures as he's been making his way to Jerusalem, the eventual place of his crucifixion. And as Jesus enters Jerusalem, he's greeted with these shouts of excitement and palm branches. And we'll get to hear more about that next week on Palm Sunday. But there's much excitement about the arrival of Jesus. The people in the city have come to see they have come to see Jesus, just as Jesus began his ministry of gathering up his disciples by inviting them to come and see. Now people of all different backgrounds, ethnicities, demographics have come to see Jesus, and they want to hear from him. And so we arrive at our scripture passage for today, John chapter 12 verses 20 to 33, and I'll be reading from the Common English Bible Translation if you would like to follow along in your, in your Bible, or it will also be on the screen for you. So John chapter 12, verses 20 to 33. Some Greeks were among those who had come up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and made a request. Sir, we want to see Jesus. Philip told Andrew... And Andrew and Philip told Jesus. Jesus replied, The time has come for the human one to be glorified. I assure you that unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it can only be a single seed. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who love their lives will lose them, and those who hate, which also translates here to reject, their lives in this world will keep them forever. Whoever serves me must follow me. Wherever I am, there my servant will also be. My father will honor whoever serves me. Now I am deeply troubled. What should I say? Father, save me from this time? No, for this is the reason I have come to this time. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd standing there heard and said, it's thunder. Others said, an angel spoke to him. Jesus replied, this voice wasn't for my benefit, but for yours. Now is the time for judgment of this world. Now this world's ruler will be thrown out. When I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to me. He said this to show how he was going to die. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, right? Well, Lent is a difficult time in the church calendar. It's not a season that we celebrate through. We celebrate Easter, 
yes, right? But we don't celebrate throughout Lent. I love parties. I am a parties person. I grew up in a family of party planners who throw the most incredible parties, and they, and they still do. And so part of parties might have become one of my love languages over the years. A good party has the potential to make the guests of honor feel so, so loved. And that's probably why I love Advent so much, right? There's so much anticipation for Christmas to celebrate the birth of Jesus. And we get to party. We party a lot around Christmas, don't we? Yeah, we gather with friends and family and we share in good food and good stories and there's decorations. It's so much fun. We party a lot at that time of year. But in Lent, in Lent, we don't throw parties. <laughs> we don't gather around with themed decorations in our homes to celebrate Lent. Lent is a deep season. It's a season where we're given permission to have all of these different kinds of emotions, including some of the less pleasant ones, like lament, right? A season where we feel like we can speak a little more honestly about the world. The areas of our world that are broken and not yet redeemed. We acknowledge that there are unspeakable things in this world. Our emotional bucket just gets a little bit bigger during this season. But it's not a season that we would be attaching the word fun to, right? And I think one of the reasons we don't find Lent fun is because it begins with Ash Wednesday, where we are reminded of our mortality. And to be reminded of our mortality also means for us to be reminded of death and to be reminded of just how finite we are. We are limited. We don't like death. In fact, we spend much of our lives trying to combat it, trying to beat the clock, right? We buy special lotions for our skin, for anti-aging. We choose clothes that we hope make us look younger, but not too much younger, right? <laughs> we dye our hair when it starts to turn gray. We take vitamins to make sure that we're getting the nutrients we need to live a longer, healthier life. And yet, death is a part of life. We know that with all new life, there will eventually be death. We know that there are things that we can do to live healthier, longer lives, but eventually we will see our last day. And this concept of death, it isn't new. It's part of the life cycle of creation, right? And somehow humanity has never particularly been comfortable with death. We try to avoid it at all costs. So in our scripture passage today, as we read about the Greeks arriving in Jerusalem, seeking to hear from Jesus, to see him, undoubtedly the last thing they expected was to arrive and to have Jesus begin talking about his own death. If you've been waiting to see somebody, to hear from them, to learn from them, and then when you finally get to hear from them, they start to talk about their own death, that might feel a little defeating, right? I would feel defeated. <laughs> what a letdown, right? And scripture doesn't actually, so scripture doesn't actually tell us whether or not the Greeks do get to hear from Jesus. But regardless, the picture painted in scripture here is Jesus' response. And the request to see him led to Jesus talking about his impending 
death. Jesus' last public address before the passion. It's a response to those who want to know more about who Jesus is. And it's like Jesus has these thoughts already in his mind that just come flooding out of his mouth. Like the request from the Greeks for an audience is just an opportunity for Jesus to speak what's already on his mind. Jesus is thinking about the most important thing left that needs to be said. In many ways, it's an introduction to what the world needs to see and know to be a part of the kingdom of God. And as we see here in his words, that includes dying to ourselves. And he's announcing that the time had come for God to be glorified out of his own death and resurrection. Now, there are many different forms of death that we're familiar with, right? This last year, we felt the loss or death of so many things. What was, what is, what could have been. We felt the death of our routines and our rhythms. We felt the death of our plans, maybe vacations. We felt the grief from the physical death of loved ones. We felt the death of jobs as major budget cuts were made or as places of work were shut down. There are so many different forms of death that we felt deeply over this last year. So to hear these words from Jesus today, if I'm being honest, is, is a little bit difficult, right? We know what it's like to experience the pains of death, and it hurts. And because it can be painful in all of death's various forms, we become so afraid of them all. To look death in the face, to acknowledge what has happened, can be very, very painful. And yet, without Christ's death, we wouldn't have the resurrection. Without the death of the old, we wouldn't have the new. And so as Christ speaks to his disciples in our scripture passage today, as he tells them one more time in one more way what, he, what his hopes for their lives are, this urging for them to die like a seed in order to produce fruit, to lose our lives in order to live them abundantly, this call to discipleship is one that at its core is a call to selflessness. When Jesus tells his audience that they need to hate their lives, it really is an urging for them to reject the impulses that the world has taught them for survival. The fear of death often breeds sin. When you think about greed, it comes from this fear of time running out and there not being enough. So greed takes more than what it needs, right? When you think about the love of power, it comes from this desire of us to handle things how we see is best. When we are ultimately the ones that are in control. And when you think about the overly love of self, I'm not talking about like recognizing your body as a temple. I'm not talking about a healthy self-esteem, right? But the overly love of self that says, I am more important than those around me. That comes from a fear of self-preservation. 
And in Christ's words, he's saying that unless we unlearn these default responses to fight death with our own strategies, unless we reject these parts of our lives, then we cannot be a part of this new life of the kingdom. Because in God's kingdom, the way to fight death doesn't come from the fear of death. And so as we think about what Jesus is saying here, while death to our selfishness may be painful, it can also be the way to an abundant life. I, I remember last year when, when the news of COVID broke out, I was in North Carolina, and I was at the Women's Wesleyan Holiness Conference. And it was almost like the world stopped, right? They started distancing the chairs and the remaining sessions by six feet, and there were reports of flights being grounded everywhere and a mass purchasing of supplies and hoarding from the stores. And I began to wonder if I was going to be able to make it home. And I was thankful that I I was able to get a flight out of North Carolina, and then they grounded flights the next day. So I was able to come home, but everything just stopped. And one of the last speakers that I heard from when I was at this conference was from Reverend Jennifer Guerra Aldana. She leads the Multicultural Initiatives at Fuller Institute. If you're familiar with the book Growing Young, um, much of the research at Fuller Institute is found in in that popular book. And so anyway, uh, Reverend Jennifer, she said something so profound that has stuck with me over the course of this last year. She said, take what we need and be radically generous with the rest. And I remember thinking in that moment, as the world just seemed like everything stopped and we're just wondering what is going on, we're six feet apart from each other. And I remember thinking when she said those words, wow, that's gospel. In the state of fear, that's gospel. This call from Jesus in his last public address points others to a way of living that is greater than just their individual worlds. Jesus continually challenged this idea of individuality or autonomy that can be so easy for us to embrace. And instead, painted us a picture of what it looks like for there to be enough for everyone. A picture of us dying to ourselves so that all might live. A way of life not just for the sake of others, but for the sake of the entire world. So as we look at Jesus' words and we reflect on the gospel, we see that in the kingdom of God, this dying to ourselves is so that there can be new life. Because in the kingdom of God, there is no death without resurrection. Amen? Jesus never talks about death without also talking about the resurrection. And then Jesus continues on and continues to address the realities of the situation at hand. He says what he undoubtedly knows that Andrew and Philip are thinking. He asks them if the way that he should respond to the current circumstances is to ask God to save him from what is happening. We're so uncomfortable with pain, with hurt, with grief. 
I think that's part of why this last year felt so difficult at times, because it often felt like there was no escape from the grief around us, from the grief within us. And here we are. It's March 21st, 2021. The first official day of spring was yesterday. The hope of spring is contagious as plants begin to emerge after a long winter. My tulips that I planted last fall are starting to pop up in the garden, right? And yet we still, with all of this hope that we see in new life emerging around us in creation, we still feel the weight of yesterday, of this last year. Even with the hope for a brighter tomorrow, for many of us today is still difficult. My, <laughs> my grandmother uh, was recently diagnosed with stage four cancer and it is rapidly spreading throughout her body. Um, her, her body is shutting down. Um, she's losing control of uh, a lot when it comes to her body right now. And um, it's a very, <laughs> it's a very, difficult, difficult thing. My mom just spent two weeks in Washington caring for her, and her and her siblings are on a rotating shift to, to care for her. Um, and the doctor's uh, path forward for her because of her age and her physical body state is to essentially just make her as comfortable as they can for the remainder of her days. And I know I'm not the only one that has stories like this. I'm not the only one. Many of you are thinking of folks in your lives where you've either experienced this or you know someone right now who's experiencing similar grief and pain. The difficulties of life, aside from the cloud covering of COVID-19, have remained heavy. We want to be creatures of the light. We don't want to be covered by this dark cloud. We want the world to be nice and neat, or as uh, Kate Bowler, she's a professor at Duke Divinity School, uh, the way she puts it is sparkly. It's a very theological term, I know. <laughs> we, we, want, we want the world to be sparkly. We want people to be put together, happy, healthy, tidy, right? We want them to be sparkly. We don't want things to be messy, we get uncomfortable when people are messy, when they are hurting. We get uncomfortable when we ourselves are hurting. And at times, we've told ourselves this lie, this narrative that it's not okay to be hurting. And, in, and Jesus in these moments, he feels it all. In these moments, Jesus feels it all. He acknowledges the pain of his circumstances. He is deeply troubled. Jesus is hurting. He knows what's about to happen. It looms over him like a dark cloud. He knows the time has come. And even in the cover of this looming darkness, Jesus embraces it by asking God to be glorified. In the face of pain, God, would you be glorified? Father, glorify your name. Jesus isn't putting a Band-Aid on something horrible, making light of something so heavy. In these moments, he doesn't diminish the pain that he feels. We really do love to skip to Easter without really spending time in the depths of 
the realities of Jesus' journey to the cross, right? We always want the celebration. We want the party, but not the journey it took to get there. Jesus is not sparkly here. He doesn't pretend that he is or that things are. He doesn't promise the disciples that once they pick up their cross that their lives will be sparkly either. I think sometimes we have the tendency to do that, though. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, right? You tell, something about, you tell someone something that's deeply painful that's going on in your life, right? You tell them something that's really difficult, and their immediate response is, but God is good, right? Yes, God is good, but those two things are not uh, exclusive of one another, right? There can be great pain and sorrow, and God can still be good. Jesus was present in his suffering. He felt it deeply, and he didn't pretend that it wasn't there, and neither should we. We can feel the weight of the death of Christ and have hope that in the kingdom there will be new life. We can feel the weight of the deaths from this last year and have hope that in the kingdom there will be new life. Jesus knew these things to be true. He felt the weight of his impending death, the anguish and the waiting, and he still longed for God to be glorified. When I think about the moments of this last year that have been the most painful for me, <laughs> that have been most painful for my family, I can't help but ask myself, did I cry out, God, be glorified? Things have been messy. Messy is an understatement politically, theologically, personally, globally, nationally, individually, pick one of the Lees, right? Like, things have, it has been one hot mess express of 2020, 2021, right? Right? But God be glorified. There will be new life. I love the way that N.T. Wright puts it um, after he reflected on these same scriptures. He said, Jesus' death will be like the sowing, will be like sowing a seed into the ground. It will look like a tragedy. In fact, it will be a triumph. The triumph of God's self-giving love. The love that looks death itself in the face and defeats it by meeting it voluntarily on behalf not just of Israel, but of the whole world. The world represented by those Greeks. Right? These last moments of Christ's life and teaching were an act of surrender, and an act of surrender to God, not to the empire that surrounded him. This love that, that looked death in the face and revealed an empire did the, that did their very worst to an innocent man. A crucifixion that was spurred on by the greed, power, and violence of the empire. An empire that was absorbed was self-preservation, trying to race the clock. This horrible death of Christ, and yet even after that, when the worst of the worst was done, the empire still loses, right? We know where this story is going. 
And in the end of Jesus' public speech here, we can read that the judgment he talks about in verse 31 is that of the empire and the sins that have led to the ways that they are operating and treating people. The, soon, the sins that have consumed the empire lose. Jesus conquered death, and we are invited to defeat the ways of death in our lives through the power of Christ, too. We have insight that the followers of Jesus up to this point did not yet, right? We know what else is coming. We know Easter is coming, and there is great hope in that. But we don't hope in these things by skipping over the realities of suffering. Jesus is drawing the world to him through this death. It is an invitation into the presence of God to put an end to the, these cycles of death. And we are invited to be a part of putting an end to the death in the world around us and death within us to be a part of new life. Jesus offers us an invitation here. An invitation that we're not shamed into. I don't know, <laughs> I don't know if you've seen those memes um, floating around Facebook. I've spent way too much time online this last year. I don't know if you've felt that way too. I've had to fast from it quite a bit actually because I'm like, you know, this is just not good for my heart. But there's, <laughs> there's these memes that sometimes will float around and um, they'll pop up on my feed. I'm like, oh gosh. And it, they'll say something like, it'll be like a picture of Jesus. And it'll say something like, Share this, or else Jesus will be ashamed of you. <sighs> Goodness, right? <laughs> and that's so backwards to what we see here in the life of Christ, right? This, even as we listen to Jesus talk today, this is so opposite to what Jesus is proclaiming with his life and his words in these last days. Jesus offers us an invitation into love, life, and peace. So maybe some of these old ways of inviting people to Christ need to die in order for there to be new life, right? The ways that we relate to death, the ways that we understand it when shaped by the kingdom bring life. The ways that we live, the way we live our lives has an eternal impact beyond just our finite lives. The way that we love our families our kids, our grandkids, our neighbors, has an eternal impact. And what if the gift of eternal life that Christ offers us is also the eternal impact of how we love and how we will shape a generation or the generations to come? The true way to fight death and to leave a legacy is different than what the world tells us. And it begins with the act of surrender to Jesus, to not ignore, run from, or hide from the grief and the hurts in our lives or in the lives of others, but to look them in the face with complete surrender to Jesus, to the parts of ourselves that we say, I believe I can do it best. And would that surrender bring life to our dry bones and to the world around us? Amen. Would you pray with me? Lord, we're so thankful for this space. We're so thankful to hear from your word and to hear from your life. God, we pray that these words would not fall on deaf ears. God, we pray that our hearts would have received them and that you would speak to us and move our hearts to reveal the areas we need new life and that you need us to surrender. 
Because, Lord, we know that your way is the best way. Living, walking in your truth is the way to life for ourselves and for the world around us. In your holy name we pray these things. Amen. Hey, we're so glad you found our sermon podcast, and we pray that this was a place of hope, healing, and peace for you today. If you'd like to financially support the staff and ministries of our church, we've made it really easy for you to do so. On our podcast page, you should see a button that says support, where you can set up reoccurring giving at 99 cents a month, $4.99 a month, or $9.99 a month. Or if you're interested in giving more, head on over to our website at euclidnaz.org donate. Thank you so much for supporting the mission of Euclid. We really do believe that the difference we can make for the kingdom is greater when we do it together. Blessings to you today, friends.